just keep being you. Welcome to the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Horlbogen. I'm on a mission to foster civility, respect, and integrity with a dash of sartorial elegance in the boardroom and beyond. And I invite you to join me on my quest. Never have to be like anybody else cause you're my favorite person when you're being yourself. A true original right from the start, straight from the heart, a great work of art, you stand apart. So welcome back to the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast. I have a really exciting guest today. So I'm gonna start out with his bio. It's quite long, so bear with me. Um, my guest today is Mr. Joe Mullings, and Joe is the chairman and CEO of the Mullings Group companies, including TMG Search, Dragonfly Stories, and TMG 360 Media. The search firm is responsible for more than 8,000 successful searches in the med tech, health tech industry, with clients ranging from multi-billion dollar companies to emerging tech startups. Dragonfly Stories is the media production company behind the award-winning video docu-series, True Future, of which Joe is the host, as well as generating attention and awareness for companies globally. In 2020, Joe was appointed Chief Visionary Officer for MRI Network, Inc., where he guides the digital transformation of the MRI Network, bringing video storytelling strategy, strategies and techniques for talent access, which he innovated at the Mullings Group. So welcome to my show, Joe. Great to be on board and thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited. You're doing a lot of really neat things in the industry that I'm not that familiar with, but I'm very curious to learn about and find out what you're doing. Sure, ask away. Okay, so I just wanted to say that the first, you first crossed my radar, I was watching um, a YouTube vlog and you were the guest of uh, Chris Walker of Refine Labs mm -hmm. and the, it was sort of a different topic for him. You guys are talking about culture and retaining talent, finding talent, and you know, really doing a deep dive into that, the whole reshuffle and, and the work from X, as you call it. Um, and in it, you mentioned the importance of empathy and good leadership. So that kind of caught my attention and I kind of stalked you for a while and here you are. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe, um, you have a very vast and varied career portfolio behind you. Um, tell us about your journey through that and some of the important lessons you've learned along the way about leadership and um, sort of trying out new ventures. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm originally from Hicksville, New York, which is on Long Island. Uh, grew up there, went to school in Ohio, University of Dayton, Ohio, got an engineering degree back in 1984, uh, back when they just had started having uh, running water and electricity. and. <laughs> And spent a couple of years as an engineer and then got into the search business, the headhunting business, uh, and had uh, successfully built out quite a large search firm, uh, in particular in the medical device industry, the med tech industry. So all the devices and technologies that are future facing that aren't here yet, but will be here to help save lives, extend lives, uh, and just, uh, you know, if we're going to live longer, we're going to want to live healthier. Mm -hmm. uh, so in 19, I'm sorry, in 2015, we had started Dragonfly Stories, uh, which is a production company. I had no experience in it whatsoever, uh, but we jumped in and we started out telling stories about careers and stories about our client companies. And the very first one was Google and Johnson and Johnson. Wow. And um, you know, we we started telling stories about who you could possibly become 
if you went to work at a company? And that's the question that we know everybody should be asking when they're thinking about a career change or a career move is, who will I become if I take this role on? And it's an important question to answer because it causes you to be really introspective and question who you're going to work for, mm -hmm. where you're going to work and what you know sort of your mission will be. And then since then we've, uh, as you mentioned, Telly Award winning with the docu-series. Uh, our search firm continues to be the largest in the world in that uh, category. And then we started TMG 360 Media, which is a media company that specifically is aimed at telling the stories of emerging tech startup companies. So that uh, in a nutshell is a little bit of my backstory. Very, very interesting. So um, very forward thinking then as far as especially the med tech, right? And, and future ro robotics, we're gonna talk about that later. Now you, you touched on this, but I wanna go back to it. Your website says, we believe that every individual should evaluate four things when considering a new opportunity, market, product, service, leadership, and mission. So can you weigh in on the leadership and mission part, especially for my listeners? Yeah, be happy to. So um, the first two are pretty straightforward. The market you're looking at, does that market have legs to where the world's moving to? And mm -hmm. then does the product that you're potentially going to work for, a service you're working for, does that have legs as well? Because you want to certainly get into a market that has a future that's super uh, optimistic. Mm -hmm. And the most important two though, you pointed out are leadership and mission. So leadership, mom and dad were right. Who you hang around with every day is ultimately who you'll become. And so it also determines your network. So mm -hmm. when you go and look at an opportunity, you should absolutely want to understand who will I be rubbing elbows with every day? What is important to them? How do they work? What do they work on? What can I learn from them? And then how can I utilize that network moving forward in my career, because odds are stats say it'll be less than four years in your current job. So when you part ways and or they part ways, you will have hopefully a network to parlay along the way. And what will I learn good and bad habits with those people? And then mission. Mission's important because while we, we, we show up every day in the parking lot and get out of our car, or get off our bicycle, um, you generally don't have staying power if you're going into work to make a thing or to provide a service. Mm -hmm. um, th there's gotta be a higher level of fulfillment that draws you in to give the best performance every day you possibly could. And you're gonna have good days and bad days, um, but what is it that makes you want to hop out of bed every morning and go, you know what? I don't know if there's many more places I'd rather be than where I'm going to today. And then that's critically important. There's no perfect career move. There's no perfect job. Although I think I've come pretty close in what I've been um, sort of privileged to do over the last 30 plus years, but you've got to know why are you showing up every day? And is it, is it giving a higher level of fulfillment to your being? I agree with that 100%. Um... I worked for an organization that had a fantastic mission. It was over 120 years old to help women that were in need. And, but it was run by very toxic female leadership. So there was such a, a parody there of, you know, mission and purpose versus what was really going on. And that, that dissection just, yeah, I've lived, I lived through, you know, both, both scenarios and that is nothing will kill your, your, um, your team's mission, you know, motivation and desire to do well for you than poor leadership or, or um, 
hypocrisy when it comes to the mission. So that's yeah, and and that and and it's really interesting you bring that up because when when you get a mission driven group of people, so and and we can point to anything in in especially society today. It's it's become really interesting is there are people who show up because they have a mission and those people from an altruistic perspective are there for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And then there are others who smuggle themselves in who will jump inside that mission, but as a Trojan horse, mm -hmm. and they either have a despise or an alternative agenda and hide themselves within that altruistic effort. And if you leave those two categories together long enough, unfortunately, the ones who have the less than um, sort of altruistic and, and, and mission-driven mindset find a way, because they have an agenda, find a way to oftentimes introduce toxicity. And you, you don't need many toxic people to bring down a culture. It's mm -hmm. really, it's, it's a very, very dangerous scenario and a dangerous seed Mm -hmm. to get into a really positive culture and one or two bad seeds could really bring down a culture. Uh, you know, no matter if the mass is on the side of the, 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 the well-intended altruistic, we're in here for a mission, mm -hmm. you bring in just two or three of those and they can take it out its, at its knees. Absolutely. And the more senior those bad seeds are, the faster it can happen, you know? Absolutely. And um, yeah, very interesting. Um, so on that point, because I you know bringing up about women in leadership, in my experience with them, you recently wrote an article uh, on women's mentorship for TMG Pulse, which is your blog or your like your one of your media outlets. It's one of our media outlets. Yeah. yeah it's a, so can you share what prompted you to write that? I know you said you were at a, a, a roundtable discussion, but um, what prompts you to follow up with that article? And how does your organization support women who are in leadership roles? Hmm. Yeah, so I I do a lot of I do I do a lot of leadership search work for organizations, and um, certain categories that we work in, especially in the fem health space, which is an underrepresented space from an investment perspective in the venture capital community, which is really odd because it represents fifty percent of the population, <laughs> and it also represents eighty percent of the decisions made in a home are by the female, not the male in regards to healthcare. Yet it's underrepresented in the venture community. I think some of that is because there's just not a lot of female venture capitalists, more male, and therefore they don't index enough to that space. But with that, oftentimes femhealth companies would prefer a female leader at the helm in the C-suite. And when I go out and conduct those searches, which is pretty often, um, the last thing that females want to hear is um, we want a female CEO in this role. They want to hear, we want the best CEO in this role. And I happen to be a female mm -hmm. and it's, it, it, it happens way too often that those roles are misrepresented as we want a female CEO. And so it gets under the skin of all the great female leaders is they don't want to become members of the C-suite because they're females. Mm -hmm. They want to become members of the C-suite because they're great performers who happen to be a female. And so as I chat with them and we discuss the influence of um, the hierarchy of competency, we discuss the hierarchy 
of really uh, a male-dominated industry in the C-suite is. Um, we have discussions about how biology uh, definitely comes into the play here, because after all, last I checked, men can't have children, but women are the ones who have the children. So in, unfortunately, they get interrupted sometimes during their most formative years as they ascend into the executive ranks. Once you start getting into the late 20s, early 30s, you need some time off mm -hmm. in order to have a child and raise a family. And then you try and get back on that treadmill, if you will, in a positive way, there's that interruption and the world doesn't stop. And then one of the other things that came out is they started talking about the influence of the um, the Me Too that came out, the hashtag mm -hmm. Me Too um, sort of, uh, conversation that continues to come out and should come out and, and light be shown on that situation. And how the over-indexing of the assumption, let's, let me be careful my words here, the over-indexing that men in general are predatory in nature rather than just being imbeciles because we are pretty we are pretty dumb we are we are so susceptible to unintended microaggressions in the workplace because we just don't understand it uh, and this is my opinion on this and so what has happened is hr departments have said and set up policy of we don't want you behind closed doors if you're a male and there's a female if 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 in a mentoring situation, so if you're a 55 year old male and you happen to find a rock star who's a 23 year old female and she's just entered your organization, if that door is closed, policy in too many organizations are no closed door. Now, if it was a 23 year old male, that door was closed, nobody would care. Exactly. Nobody would care. Mm -hmm. So I found females getting short change because the male executives who want to mentor great players, male or female. But when it comes to mentoring a female and they go out to lunch together, they go out to dinner together, they're behind closed doors. The females are shorted because of this draconian policy in HR intended to protect, I'm not sure who, mm. the, the, the male or the female. Or right? the organization. <laughs> or the organization, correct. And I found that to be an incredible hindrance to females getting into a mentoree mm -hmm. situation in their careers. And there have been courageous males who have gone, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm, there's a very, very, very small percentage of the population that have malice and, and predatory nature in mind, but I am not going to let them ruin it for the other 99% of the population mm -hmm. that want to do the right thing for a person, not a female or a male, right. and move them forward in their career. So that was the prompt for writing the article. Yeah, very interesting. I think it's, you know, as a woman in the workplace, I felt I worked much better with men. I preferred their directness, their uh, clarity, you know, faster decision-making, no, less drama. I, it's definitely, not that I didn't have good working relationships with other women. It's just that I preferred that. But they're definitely was that pullback almost like out of fear sometimes, you know, working with board members that were male or things like that, where there's always that awareness that you don't want anything to be misconstrued or mistaken or that kind of thing. So that it is very unfortunate because it's true. There's a lot of women I follow on um, LinkedIn and they say, I'm not, I'm not a, a successful female CEO. I'm just a successful CEO that I happen to be a female. So yeah, that, that's a very, um, 
popular narrative right now. So in the article, you made a point about being willing to invite contrarian opinion to the table. And even though you didn't use the word humility, basically you're saying like, be humble enough to revisit these decisions or these policies or things that, that were set up in place, as you said, by those that do not often have to live with the consequences. So they set up these policies, HR puts them in place, and then there's that um, a huge resources lost, particularly for women in the workplace. So talk about that, like like being going back to revisit these things. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. It's it's almost like the it's 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 governmental in 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 um, nature. Is once a government sets a law, it's rare that they ever walk it back, mm-hmm. and it's rare. And and their intention is always good, right? So just like in the HR function or in a corporate function. The intention is always good. Yet, if you were going to start to address such a complex issue as gender equality in the workplace and gender protection in the workplace, mm-hmm. the odds of you getting it right the first time are zero. Because once you change a policy, you're going to now start to get new inputs into the behaviors between the parties that you're trying to protect Mm -hmm. and insulate. And so if you're going to put in gender specific and gender protective policies, well, then you're going to have behavioral changes in the, in the, in the, in the social fabric. And as those start to declare themselves, you're going to start to have unintended consequences and collateral damage that you've got to look at and say, okay, maybe we, Look, discrimination is good, right? But intentional discrimination where it is destructive is not. Mm-hmm. And so once you start to look at these policies, you've got to step back and go, okay, unintended consequences. Here's what's happened. We need to reevaluate this. Mm-hmm. And we need to continue to make it a living policy, a, a living sort of breathing policy. Because again, once you change one of the prime samplings, behavior changes dramatically. And there's going to be losers on the end of that, which is why, again, I wrote that article is because I think females ended up being in a worse off situation for their career development than benefited from that policy. Yeah. Yeah. It's in it. And again, like you said, they, a policy is created then rather than um, revisit it and adjust it, they just make another policy based off that policy or a new rule or a new, a new, uh, and a, addendum to it, things like that, which never fixes the actual, none of this fixes the actual problem, right? Which is that everyone should feel safe going to work and with their coworkers, regardless of gender. I mean, I told HR that I didn't want to be behind closed doors with my boss and she was a female. I literally said, I'm not going, I was scared of her. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's not really gender specific, really Mm -hmm. some of it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, oftentimes I see on this subject and other subjects like this, that, have either gender or sexual preferences or uh, color, creed, religion, is some people are so caught up in winning an argument mm-hmm. instead of fixing the problem. And I've, I've watched people get wrapped around the axle on, I need to win this argument. And I've lost sight of what the intention was of this guidance policy or mm-hmm. new approach to things. All right, win the battle, lose the war. Yeah, but let's, let's, it's okay to win the argument if you're fixing the problem. 
Right. But if you're going after winning the argument, you lose sight of the problem. Therein lies the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes in a leadership role, it's hard. That's hard for people, right? To make that shift. Well, yeah, because there's timelines. As a leader, oftentimes we have lines of sight over 12 months, 24, 36 months. And I, and I have, I have empathy on those who might not have that line of sight. There are decisions I make in my organizations every day that if you look at it over a 30 day window, people go, is he crazy? <laughs> I'm looking at over a six, 12, 18, 24 months. So it's a different chessboard that I get to look at. Right. And sometimes I can't bring everybody up to speed on all the dynamics on every decision. But the one on gender protection, I got what the intention was, but I just would love to have, you know, some sobriety around it of what are we doing to protect against a very, very, very small percentage of the population. And on the flip side is I have seen people like in order to provide healthy dialogue, you need to risk to being offensive, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. that is what drives intelligent conversations and intelligent outcomes is if you are not being offensive where it's okay to attack ideas, not people, mm -hmm. right? And we've created this bubble wrap environment right now that we can't tell the difference if we're attacking a problem or attacking a person. And oftentimes when you attack a problem, the person thinks they're being attacked and then that ends up being a flashpoint downrange as well. Mm -hmm. And then you tie that into gender or any other perceived discriminatory behavior, you're mixing them up. Yeah. I, I posted a while ago on LinkedIn about, um, choose the mountain you will die on or die for something, but it was about that, you know, that we, the society has become so sensitive on every level to offense or uh, difference of opinion it, it, that by the time people make sure, checked all the boxes that they're not going to offend someone, they don't end up saying anything because everyone's just scared, right? Or scared to be sued, scared to be called out, scared to be reported all in it. But there can be healthy, healthy dialogue, healthy conflicts in conversation that's that's not a bad thing that's where growth comes right all growth comes from there all yeah. listen the only time we learn is when we get a throat punch or something really bad happens to us rarely do we have a deep-seated mm -hmm. lesson put in place by an agreeable conversation or uh, a harmonious outcome that is so true that is so true to your point earlier that you as a leader you're looking at a 24, 36 month calendar, you know, agenda in your head with all your, with all of your roles. And you can't always bring everyone up to speed to make those decisions that to others may seem ridiculous. So this guy's losing it, whatever. That's where the trust in your leader comes in. Right. You have to trust that they've got the big, big picture right in there. And they're going to take you along for the ride, even if you don't know where the ride's going. So. And it's probably one of the most important aspects of leadership is, is, is trust. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to agree with me. Right. I need you to trust me. Um, and then base it, base it on the longitudinal data. Don't base it on what you feel like happened this week to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Base it upon the track record over time. And that's why we have to be so careful going back to our earlier discussion is all you have in the corporate world is your 
your your reputation. Like if you're ethically suspect, it's highly likely that your trajectory of growth in your career is going to be stalled. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to be really respectful and careful and thoughtful about what's thrown out in conversation when you're potentially going after a character assassination on somebody mm -hmm. um, for your own agenda. And that's really important. There's a, there's a dual responsibility there. I see too many people um, who are um, passive aggressive and they will not hit a problem head on. What they'll do is they'll sidebar it and there'll be a character assassination from the sidelines mm -hmm. and that can pull down a leader in a heartbeat. Yeah. The Gentleman Boss podcast has been named top 20 best month reporting podcasts of 2021 by Welp Magazine, number 36 of 200 in top entrepreneurship podcasts by Podchaser, and top 20 best whistleblower podcasts for 2021 by CastBox Media. For sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website at thegentlewomanboss.com. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so in view of our conversation, I, I had warned you ahead, I was going to ask you this. Have you ever accounted uh, bullying in the workplace or a toxic culture in your career? You don't have to get into it if you don't want to, but if you did, how did you navigate that? How did you make that work for you, not against you? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting. We build, we build to use an analogy, we use, uh, we build Super Bowl teams here. And when, when you build a Super Bowl team and, and everybody does it differently, uh, there's a very direct line of conversation. Great leaders who build Super Bowl teams care little about your comfort and more about your personal and professional development. Mm -hmm. When you build a Super Bowl team, uh, radical candor is a highly valued approach. And we have seen over the years in our organizations that it takes a little while to get used to that. And it could be viewed as aggressive. Mm -hmm. It could be viewed as um, powerful. Um, it could be viewed, and not everybody has been taught to live in that environment. Right. But you could never allow toxicity to enter there. Mm -hmm. You could never allow bullying to enter in there. And sometimes those signals, based on who you are and where you came from, can get misinterpreted mm -hmm. as bullying or uh, the aggressiveness could be high expectations of who you were. And so that's where I think the interview process in an organization is hypercritical because you need to explain to people the world that they're going to be working in and the environment and how it, the communication comes across, how high accountability, low maintenance comes in. And then if you get the wrong selection, mm -hmm. that person can become somewhat um, unfulfilled and unhappy. And then we're not doing them any good and they're not doing the team any good. Mm -hmm. And then you have to work on how do you help that person go find another environment that's more conducive to them? Or how do you help them get on this fast moving train that they've never been on before, but they've committed to want to get on? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm answering your question in, in, in that way, because toxicity, you've got to define that word first. Mm -hmm. Right? So 
you know, and, and, and bullying is really easy to define. Yeah. That, that's very easy to define. That's where you're attacking in a person. Mm-hmm. But make sure your ideas aren't being attacked. I mean, make sure your ideas are being attacked and you're not being attacked. Right. Because then bullying and toxicity could come right up alongside that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a responsibility to the person who's processing bullying or toxicity or witnessing it. And, you know, <laughs> it's an old line. It's like, what does porn look like? And it's really hard to define, but when I see it, I'll know it. Right. Right. And it's the same thing with bullying and toxicity is I can't explain it to you because the scenario will dictate it and what's going on in that moment. But I will know what it is when I see it. Like I can point out bullying and toxicity very quickly, but Mm -hmm. unless you have context around it, I'm always a little um, timid to point to that there is the definition of toxicity or that is bullying. Yeah. Which is why it's also hard to train organizations to prevent it from happening because it's not like a cookie cutter definition for either. And it it involves personalities. And like you said, the onboarding process, that's also where as the potential onboarder, you need to ask your questions. You need to ask about how do things get done here? Or, you know, like, because if you, like you said, that can be a bad match. And what could offend some one person or make them feel, you know, being targeted or talked down to or disrespected. Another person just views as like, okay, we're just getting the job done. You know, this is the agenda. We have a time limit. Let's get it done. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's very, um, a lot of variables involved in that. Very interesting. Okay. So tell us about your adventures with Dragonfly Stories and True Future TV. I watched a little bit of it on your website. Thank you. Um, so Dragonfly Stories was a production company we started in our facility here in Delray Beach, which is about 7,000 square foot, all included, between production, video, editing. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a world-class organization that's traveled the world. Uh, we recently won three Tele Awards, which is uh, a pre- pretty highly coveted uh, in our very first try. And I think uh, they gave it to us on our docuseries we uh I went over to Israel um, to feature some of the technology and people and culture in Israel. Uh, so it's been a real um, journey, a real education for me. I, the closest I ever came to a camera was taking pictures of, on vacation, right? We just yeah. decided one day, hey, let's do this. And we've assembled an unbelievable team who uh, sets no limits on themselves and left their past beliefs and um, limitations on where they came from behind, yet brought all their skills with them. So we're really fortunate on that. So that's the uh, Dragonfly Stories. And then um, True Futures, the docuseries, you can find us on truefuture.tv. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I caught a little bit uh, an episode where you um, you were in front of a wall with graffiti and you were talking to a guy and he's like, he started to break down and he said, um, yeah, I'm a gangster. <laughs> But I cry because real men cry. I just loved it. I've got to go back and finish. I just, you know, I was trying to do some research on all your work. Um, it seems like really like talking to the, like on the street, like real talk, right? True talk. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Now, I did watch part of your robotic series, The Recap. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just pulled up something from Business Insight. I want to talk about robotics for a second, if that's okay. Sure. Um, my daughter, I told you at some point is, was an, is an engineering student. I'm going to be positive and say she still is. Um, so I'm very into like the skilled trades and she went to a fantastic Vogue tech school. But according to an article in Business Insider, 
on skilled trade occupations that um, medical appliance technicians are projected to increase 14.4% or by 2100 from 2020 to 2030. Now, and that's a job that only requires a high school diploma, but how do you foresee roles like that with the increase in momentum of AI in robotics in, in that? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, we're coming to a really interesting time um, in, in, in history is uh, you're starting to see this, this divergence of those who can understand tech and those who cannot. Mm -hmm. And then those who are comfortable with reinventing themselves every five years and those who are not. And it's, it's, been, it's been sort of amplified since March of 2020 with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, where certain categories, certain jobs, for the most part, have either disappeared or being reevaluated and being replaced by technology. So if you look at the hospitality business as an example, mm -hmm. right, the, the number of jobs that have either disappeared or new jobs created with ghost kitchens and food service delivery mm -hmm. and point of sale changing where you may or may not need a waitress anymore, uh, just as a very simple example, and the billions of dollars that have come in from private equity, venture capital, uh, public markets, things like that, that somebody has to be creating those products. And they're usually software related. Mm -hmm. And AI, artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine uh, learning, all of those are going to start to have, well, we already do it. If you go on Facebook, you're fed up ads. If you're going on Amazon, you're fed up um, suggestions on buying. Yep. Um, if you go on Waze, you're being told already which way to go. And you, the first time you went against Waze, you realized you were wrong. I know a quicker way. And then you never question Waze again, right? So we, we are, we're all been brain, we're being brainwashed mm -hmm. um, uh, by the AI components coming into our lives. And, and pretty soon, all those softwares, all those products are going to have a larger influence than we ever imagined on ourselves. And people have to make those products. Mm -hmm. But what's going to happen is the market's going to start to disappear um, for the people who are at a certain sort of age in their career. Mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. in your 50s and you end up getting axed um, or downsized. The likelihood of your skill set being appropriate for the market that you were in that perhaps may be shifting dramatically and the pay range you were at um, may not coincide any longer. Right. And then there's a sudden irrelevance that is going to be accelerating over the next five to 10 years. And, you know, people ask me all the time because I've had over 150,000 conversations about careers with individuals. Like if you had to major in one thing right now in university, what would it be? And I answer that two ways. One is it needs to have a software AI component with it. It's one way or another. And, it, and you don't even have to be a software coder. You could be going to school for ethics and understand that ethics is a major component of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you've got to be prepared. Every parent today should be raising their child with the emotional flexibility to reinvent themselves every five years. Because the rate of acceleration of change going on in tech, in the workplace, and in society is so rapid that mm. if your learning stopped at 18 or 21 and you aren't autodidactic and self-learning yourself, mm -hmm. you are going to compromise 
the life that you thought you were going to live. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's moving fast. I think it will just move faster. It's a flywheel. Yeah. It's a flywheel. It's going to get faster and faster. And, and it's true. There is that big challenge of getting, well, I'm in my, I'm mid, I'm 55. So our generation, I don't know how you all, how old you are, Joe. 59. I'm 59. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. So you, obviously you're, you're um, in your own category as far as being tech savvy, but most, for, for most, most, a lot of my friends, they don't even, they can't believe I do a podcast. You're like, how do you even know how to do it? I'm like, I don't know. I just figured it out. But you know, I have that, I do have that desire to learn and figure things out. But um, I just feel like if people don't get, get some, ed educate themselves now, they're really going to be left behind even in a decade from now, right? It's going to be. Right. That's right. And the large employers, I mean, Amazon's doing it, Sprint's doing it, is the large employers know that the skill sets required in the workplace are going to be sort of rotating very quickly. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing now is rather than going out and having to downsize a certain category and then go hire a new category, which is a terrible strategy, they are purposefully interviewing people who have the desire to learn and they will continue to train them internally in the organization to be potentially 90 degree difference five years from now into something else. And mm -hmm. that increases retention, increases salaries, and also creates a better sort of job market rather than having uh, the different types of unemployment that come either frictional unemployment or you have a tech change in employment is these organizations are now internally training their workforce to try and up their retention because it's a better deal for them as well. Right, long-term investment to keep the people you already have around and continue right. to tr train them. Ups, ups, that's right. Everybody wants to learn. For the most part, everybody wants to learn. It's up to you to decide what is going to get your interest that you are going to want to continue to learn. Yeah. And that is, again, on leadership. I know I was in the elder care a nonprofit world. And there was a big disconnect from what administration wanted done as far as tech and software and, you know, bringing things up to 2019 at the time versus how nursing, you know, the caregivers did their job every day. And again, it's that antiquated, there's nothing wrong with how they did it. They did it for decades like that. And we're great at it, but there was that huge divide. They just, they, they didn't want to learn leadership wasn't good at making it exciting to learn, you know, and that's another huge part of leadership is making it, your, your organization, a learning environment and making it fun. If you can't and to that point, what you said about bringing, bringing, um, med tech into like video and media world and making it fun and making it exciting. Like you said, making it sexy to, to watch a robotics video. That's what, that's what you have to do with anything you want your people to learn, right? Or to, to, to shift to, you've got to make it enticing. What does it mean to them? Anytime you show somebody in the back of their mind, way down in the, in the core stem of the brain is what does that mean to me? Mm -hmm. And how is that going to benefit me? And why should I care? And if you understand that as you, in, if you, as you start to introduce new concepts or new careers or new jobs, or new opportunities, too many times organizations are incredibly lazy mm. and don't want to get to the bottom of here's why it might be important for you to consider this, mm -hmm. right? Instead, what do they do is they voluntold people and just push everything on them and say, this is what you're going to do next. And it takes a lot of lifting. It takes a lot of communication. It takes more than most of the time leadership has ever had to do, want to do. 
-hmm. but we've got the ability to reach out to people in a very high cadence, very low labor cost on texting, on uh, uh, internal websites, on mm -hmm. email, uh, using media. There's so many ways to continue to keep people connected in the organization that it's only the lazy people that don't want to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. When, right before I resigned from one of my roles, the, um, the executive director came over and dropped this big folder on my desk. I was in development. I was in fundraising. <laughs> and she's like, I just had a, an internal television station installed in the company and you're going to, you're going to create the content for it. Like you, I didn't know anything about creating video content. I'm like, um, I do fundraising. I ask people for money, like what, and let it, that's, but that's how she rolled. But the difference though, Joe, versus what you're saying is I knew there would be zero training. I knew there, it was just the way things were. There would be no support, no money to get me, you know, any help or so that was, a, that was sort of a deal breaker for me. Now I kind of wish I'd stuck around because it, be, it would have been a great challenge, but, um, it, that would have made a huge difference in my staying that if I knew, you know, there was backup, there was support, there was training available. Um, and that you're not just in a silo by yourself trying to build something from scratch, right? With zero help. I mean, that's not, I don't know. But that's old school. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. So Joe, my last question I ask all of my guests, unless there's something else you want to jump on before I wrap it up. Oh, I think we're good. This has been fun. Okay. Yeah, it has been fun. I love to pick an engineering brain. That's what it is. <laughs> so as a leader, what quality of a gentleman do you think is most important to emulate and why? Oof. Um, well, I, I, so empathy with as much of a dose of accountability, I think is really important. So you can deploy empathy all you want. But unless you balance that out with accountability from mm -hmm. the person you're giving the empathy to, you're just blowing empathy and, and you're enabling potentially bad behavior and uh, inhibiting growth on that person. And, and I mean that when we say gentlemen, right? So whoever you're in a relationship with, mm -hmm. um, male or female, uh, regardless of choices, I can have empathy for where you are right now. Now, having said that, if I really care about you, I'm not going to allow you to use this moment as an excuse not to give yourself what you deserve. Mm -hmm. So that's one empathy without accountability. Um, I think a gentleman should always have a strong ego as long as he balances that out with as much humility, because a strong ego imparts confidence and then safety on behalf of whoever they're working with, mm -hmm. but it's got to be balanced with humility. And so I, I think that's really important as well. Um, this one might, I'm gonna have to unpack this one for you. Okay. Um, the ability to be strong, dangerous, and of consequence as a gentleman is very, very important. Sounds like James Bond. As long as you can keep it tame because the most Influential people in the world are incredibly dangerous people, mm -hmm. but they know how to keep that monster under wraps and they know how to deploy. And I don't mean monster in the sake of, right. you know, mass murder, but I think, you know, dangerous, powerful, and of consequence under control all the time. I think a gentleman who has those qualities and can exhibit that control 
um, is able to make a difference in the world. I think it's the best answer I've ever gotten. Thank you. I love it. And I, I love how you said that the empathy has to be balanced with accountability. So my like, my C-suite title is chief empathy officer, which I gave myself because I don't have a job, but what people mistake it for, or I think people confuse it with is that if you're empathetic, you're a doormat. No, 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 no. Like you said, yes, I'm, I, I can empathize with the situation you're in, but you also know what you need to do to fix this and make it right or make things better. And I'm not going to enable you to not take that action. I am going to force you to take it. Now that's not being aggressive or a bully or toxic. That's knowing you deserve better and I'm going to help you get to better. So there is that balance and it's critical because there are people that will have learned how to take advantage of people that are compassionate or um, have high emotional intelligence, right? There are people, the twisted people that know how to, like they can manipulate that. So you have to have that balance. It's so important. That's right. So you I love that you- it. Yeah, you announce it. You're like, look, I, I'm going to help you through this. Right. Having said that, tell me what your lift is going to be and tell me what little, little burden that you're going to put on your shoulders tomorrow morning that you can carry because you can't carry a lot right now. Mm -hmm. But tomorrow morning, I want to know the little weight you're going to put on your shoulders that's going to get you out of that less than optimal place you're in right now. You let me know what that's going to be. And then the next day, I want you to put a little bit more of a load. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, a little bit more of a load. And you'll be thankful for, to, to me that I just didn't deploy empathy to give you a place to skate. And, yeah. and again, you know, somebody asked me, when was the last time you made a good friend? And, I, and I'm saying, gosh, I can't remember. Because all the people that I would probably be friends with are so damn busy that they don't. <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're trying to change the world and they're trying to make it a better place and they're trying to help people grow. And they're trying to, you know, make a difference on things. So yeah, and, and that was a sobering thought because it was really like, oh crap, when was the last time I made a really good friend? Because they're all, they're all doing Super shit like busy. this. Yeah, yeah, well, hey, that's good. And I think I just read an article that as, as we age, it making friends is becomes much less common, you know, like it's usually it's the people you're around every day at work, or you're, you know, maybe you have a few friends you grew up with that you still keep in touch with, but you know, that socialization that comes in our younger years, like college age, all that, um, those opportunities that come less, less often. And if you're busy, like you said, trying to change the world, it's going to be from less often. So. Yeah. I, I also think that we had less to guard when we were younger. I just went to my, uh, what was my 40th? Yeah. My 40th high school reunion. And it was great because as I walked in there, whatever costume they had on, meaning who they, the, the, the state or stage in life that they claimed to be. Yep. I'm like, I knew you when you were 16 and <laughs> I remember, right. So you can tell me all you want, but I knew who you were. So I also think that we were less guarded back then and exploring mm. and needed to, I mean, biology always tells us in those first 16 years, we need to explore everything, which is why we got in more trouble, which is why we had less than optimal decisions we made. And as we get older, I think we're more worried about um, being found out when in mm -hmm. essence, we're all just children wrapped up in an adult sort of costume, to, to be honest. That's what I think of all the time because I'm, I'm still nine years old you know, in my head, <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, and, and it makes you wonder if they were thinking the same about you. Yeah, Joe, I knew you in the day, right? It's true, but it's humbling sometimes to remember that though, right? I mean, we all, everyone, and I, I think we're guarded in the sense we've been through 
stuff that makes us guarded and we have more to protect. You know, we've acquired 50, 60 years of stuff in our life, family, children, maybe, um, or career things and things we've invested in that we want to protect. So you're, you're more, Even I'm neurosis, more careful, right? We, I'm more we, careful who I let in. Absolutely. We, correct, we collect more neurosis and we collect <laughs> more uh, insecurity. So you're more right, psychosis. You <laughs> and then, and like you said, the imposter syndrome thing. Now you, I can't even believe you said that because you're so crazy successful and innovative and your brain is, you're just brilliant. But like you said, sometimes you still feel like you're that nine-year-old kid trying to figure out Rubik's cube or whatever, right? <laughs> I, I hope never to lose that childlike wonderment, quite honestly. And, and the fearlessness that we had at nine years old, um, too many people end up pulling their punches as life goes on. So just live it wide open is, is sort of what I do, you know, without being wrecked. Well, everybody's definition of reckless is different. It's yeah. different. Yeah. 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 Ha go out there and have fun. Just don't do anything stupid. That's what my grandmother used to say all the time. I didn't always listen, but yeah. Okay. So I hope that my listeners are going to want to find out more about you, Joe, where can they, how, and where can they find you? Sure. You can, uh, I've got a website, joemullings.com. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned earlier, truefuture.tv. And uh, LinkedIn is where I usually put all of my content and you can find it there at Joe Mullings on LinkedIn. Great. All right, I will put all of that in the episode notes, everyone, as always. Um, thanks so much. I know you are extremely busy and I really appreciate you taking the time. I feel like I got to know you a little better. I have a new friend. Excellent. A new friend. And um, also, I just want to give a, a shout out to Nicole Ager, Ager your yeah. Yeah. VP of marketing. She was phenomenal to work with. Professional fast replies, gave me everything I needed to make this happen. So just a shout out to her too. She was great. She's awesome. Hold on a second. Nick, are you here? Get over here. Give her a face to assign with that. Hold on. Get over okay. <laughs> this is Nick. <laughs> Hi. I just gave you a shout out. Thank you for everything. Of course. It was my pleasure. We do want to know about your skincare, but I'll follow up with that. After. Oh, no. Am I on like a huge monitor? No, no, but you look fantastic. Oh, don't worry. It's a filter. <laughs> <laughs> too funny nice to meet you. You too. You too. Hang on to her, Joe. She's good people. Oh, she's going nowhere. All right. So thanks again. And I'll let you know, I'm probably going to drop it Wednesday. So I'll, I'll just send uh, Nicole the info. Awesome. Thanks so much. And appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Gentlewoman Boss podcast. Please remember to download my podcast so you can listen whenever and wherever you'd like. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much if you've already done so. It really does help with ratings and distribution of the show. I also invite you to email me if you'd like to share your story or if you have a question you'd like answered on an upcoming episode of the show. Just visit thegentlewomanboss.com and click on the contact tab at the top to email me. You can also follow me on social media at gentlewomanboss. And if you prefer to watch podcasts rather than just listen to the audio version, my episodes are also uploaded on my YouTube channel in video format as well. Click subscribe and when new episodes drop, they'll show up in your YouTube feed. It's super easy. So until next time, remember... Always choose to be the gentlewoman or gentleman in the room. I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Gentlewoman Boss Podcast.